time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome in. It is another edition of Fifth Avenue Faceoff, 93.7 The Fan and Odyssey's Pittsburgh Hockey Podcast, where we talk all things Penguins, all things hockey, and you put them both together, this is what you get. I'm Chris Mack, at the Chris Mack on Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, however you get it, via your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, whether you get it through iTunes, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, Amazon, however you get it, subscribe, and then do us a favor. Leave a rating and a review as well. Give us a little chef's kiss five-star rating and a positive review as well. We would appreciate it. Micah Blake McCurdy of HockeyViz.com. He takes all those stats. I'm going to go boomer for a second here. Oh, advanced analytics. I'll show you. He takes all of them, puts them in pictures. We talked to him in a couple minutes, plus Wes Crosby of NHL.com. But as we do a couple times a week, we check in first with our guy, Eric Tangrady. Tango. Uh, looking good, first of all. You got the golf clothes on today because it's good weather in Western PA. Uh, and also looking good for uh, considering we stayed up late to watch some hockey last night, West Coast hockey. Um, last night, let's start with this. A win over the Sharks, a 3-1 win in the Shark Tank. I kind of come at it from a win is a win. I'm not going to worry about style points, but is it necessarily a good sign um, that we're? It still feels like we're missing something. You know, giving up a, an odd man rush to start the game, uh, giving up uh, what felt like some tilted ice at times last night. What's your takeaways uh, from the shark, the win over the Sharks to wrap up the Western Con- or the Western Coast swing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was exactly the same. You know, we'll call it schedule type of game as the Anaheim game. Like you knew there wasn't going to be a ton of life in the building. Um, it's kind of a, a different team going through a rebuild. You're supposed to win. And then, you know, we look at the first period of Anaheim to kind of see, like, this is what this team is capable of. And then to have them do that, uh, kind of, you know, just kind of wait for the game to come to them against San Jose. Um, again, it was – there's some positives. There's lots of negatives. There's some concerns. But, like you said, two points. Like, we're still rolling along, like – ahead of schedule of like, I think what maybe their expectations were of a road trip and what our expectations were as well. So it's hard to, um, you know, hard to, to, to kind of to, to deter from, Hey, we'll take these points no matter how we get them. And then they, they got them, but I, I agree. Right. There was, you know, still missing that jump energy life that I think we're all kind of waiting to, 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 to see. Yeah. I mean, you're right. You gotta, you gotta be happy that they take advantage of getting two points on a night where Washington loses uh, where, uh, let's see, what else do we, oh, the Islanders lost as well. Uh, they got a, a loser's point against Ottawa, uh, Florida loses. So creating some distance between yourself and the teams that are trying to chase you down, uh, in the standings. And they've got games in hand over just about everybody in that Eastern conference playoff race too. So you feel good about that. Definitely. I wonder from, in this is kind of a backwards perspective to take on it, but is it, is it one of those things where you go out West, you win two of three, uh, first four games out of the break, including the one over Colorado, you got six points. You're feeling so good that maybe management doesn't feel like they need, need to take a big rip at the trade deadline. Or do you think maybe it's still obvious given the way these games have been played that there's still, there's still some plaster that's got to be put up on a couple holes in the walls. Yeah, I think it's still obvious. Um, you know, 
interviews are great, but at the end of the day, like we're, we're never really going to know what the kind of the, the cards that Extall and that management staff holds. But um, to me, from an outsider looking in, like if they don't, they don't make a move and move that makes their team better. It makes me question and wonder if we're kind of in this holding pattern of like, we're kind of in a rebuild, but we're also kind of, we want to win. Um, right. I do think they have the pedigree and pieces to like make noise and, and and do something in the playoffs. But when you know, I don't know if you were able to tune into that Dallas uh, Dallas Boston game last night, but That's oh my different goodness, hockey. It, it was just like it was like watching two different hockey teams in different yeah. leagues playing. Um, so we always talk about like Boston. Can we get through Boston? But get through Boston, like it, it's just a matter of like if if we if you don't think you can win and run for and to make a run, like and maybe be sellers. I don't know. I, I'm kind of indifferent about just kind of like just the, just continuing this, just make the playoff streak of versus like, we still have Crosby and Malkin, which you could argue prime coming out of prime Latang, but like wasted years if we don't take advantage of that. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I, I still think it's in take a big swing at things and see where you end up uh, at that point. You know, if you fall short, you fall short. It's another swing for the fences during the Crosby Malkin Latang era. And I'm okay with that. Speaking of of the the leadership on this team, you you saw it at the end of the Kings game. Uh, we didn't really touch on it much on Monday, but at the end of the Kings game, Sid gets into it, and then he seemed to have a little extra fire, a little extra spice in his step last night as well. Coming out, you know, he goes after a couple people early. Nothing between whistles, really, but just you know, finishing checks. Um, when you see your guy, your captain, who's not necessarily known for that kind of play at any level come out with with that is that i guess maybe the 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 equivalent of the smelling salts under the nose we go okay yeah if he's if he's finishing checks we we better wake up and get moving here boys yeah i mean that that to me is like that's that's what makes sid one of the greatest leaders of all time right like he has the versatility to like I was a part of the team when he went through like all those concussions and watching mm -hmm. him come back, like for him to go ahead and put himself out there to be aggressive and physical, like he doesn't need to run into anybody, but he's only doing that for really one purpose is to show his team like, I care, I'm all in, like, let's get everybody else bought in. Um, it's funny when I watched that and saw that it made me think like they had to have had some sort of locker room meeting or team meeting talking about, um, you know, dedication guys like doing being willing to play early in games like like we talked about somebody going out and getting a hit and setting the tone like okay like if no one's gonna do it like let's watch our captain do it and that like right. that's the type of stuff that rallies and brings teams closer together but yeah right when i saw that i'm like they must have talked about something in that locker room <laughs> yeah and, and and even after the first shift last night against the sharks it felt like man are they are they really gonna do this are they gonna come out sleepy again and Sid's second shift, he goes out. And he, I couldn't, I can't remember who he finished a check against, but he finished one off. And all of a sudden, you felt like they woke up a little bit. And Raquel scores a couple. I mean, less than a minute later, and you went, okay, they at the very least woke, you know, woken up to the task. Um, and the the other thing is, despite the fact that the uh, the top line Crosby, Gensel, and Raquel looks good, and and Gino's line, Jason Zucker had a great chance uh, last night as well. The power play now has devolved just a little bit since the All-Star break. I think one of 12 out in California. Uh, they went 0 for 1 in the first game back against Colorado. So uh, despite how strong they went into the break, I mean, it, working on the power play has to be as much about chemistry as anything else. And when you take a week off, you've got, I, I don't know, you tell me, do you have to find 
you have to find that chemistry again or should it be like riding a bike even after a week off? Yeah, no, you got to find that chemistry and practice honestly is where you get all your confidence from your power play because it's, you know, it, it, things are more structured. You lose a puck, you turn it over, coach throws another one in there. Like a power play, we always talk about if we're not scoring, we're creating momentum. And if you're doing neither of those, it can actually be deflating to a team. Um, so it's hard to go on this trip with minimal practice time, you know, travel in between games and try to just find a spark on your power play. How you usually do that is you're a shoot first, have a shot first mentality and everything gets to the net problem with that is is the penguins top unit is built off of being skilled and finding seams and lanes and all that good stuff like they don't have that shea weber on the on the or the ovechkin on the wall to just say all right want to just simplify this power play let's just start pounding pucks from the flanks like they don't really have that so right. um for me I, I would agree with like the seven days off they they do need some quality practice time to get the touches the chemistry and all those things back What's the balance there then for Sullivan? Because, you know, they've got six games in 10 days, starting with the one against uh, the Islanders in New York on Friday. They've got a day. I, I believe there's a travel day after the Sharks game. So they're traveling back as we're recording this, I believe. And then I would guess they've got they've got practice time lined up, I know, for Thursday. But I also wouldn't be surprised, being that it is the stretch run, you've got the oldest team in the league, that Mike Sullivan might say, hey, we call it off. For Thursday we don't know that yet but it wouldn't surprise me what's more important at this point in the season is it finding that chemistry on special teams is it allowing your guys to keep the legs fresh yeah that's where the coaches do a great job I I would expect them after a long travel kind of flush the legs out I would assume they would practice Thursday probably be a light you know more of a flow up and down and, and I would assume they would definitely get some power play touches in and then make you know, that Friday morning skate optional for the guys. But, um, yeah, no, I, what I would expect to see out of them on, on the road Friday. Oh, we lost Eric for just a second. Uh, we'll see if we can get him back in. Yeah, I, that's, that's a, it's a big thing for Mike Sullivan is how does he manage things? Oh, we got him back. There's Tango. Uh, sorry, bud. Oh, no, we lost him again. Uh, Wi-Fi or uh, internet connection wreaking havoc for us right now here on Fifth Avenue Face Off with Eric Tangrady. It's a particularly windy day out there in Western Pennsylvania, so who knows if that has it. Does wind affect Wi-Fi signals? Uh, there's a good question. We'll dig into that with somebody much smarter uh, than myself or anybody else uh, that we have on the podcast today. No offense to Michael Blake McCurdy, Wes Crosby, or Eric Tangrady, but there's a valuable question. Does wind play a part in Wi-Fi signals? I don't know. It probably, you know, I'm going to just throw that out there and people can decide if that's, if that's a thing or, you know, give us feedback. There you go. When you're leaving your reviews on the podcast, tell us if that has anything to do with it. All right. We got Tango back here. I think, um, uh, I, I was just talking Eric, uh, we were before we lost you for a second about, you know, what Mike Sullivan's strategy would be going into Thursday practice. You said probably skate him a little bit on Thursday give them a real light optional if anybody wants it on Friday uh, before they head out for what, like I said, is the first of six games in 10 days and a chance really to put more distance between themselves and the teams that are chasing them down because a couple of these, for example, are against the Islanders. 
Yeah, no, and, and what I when I got cut off there, I was kind of about the power play. What I'd like to see on a road game against the Islanders is like a shot first mentality. I'd like to see that first mm-hmm. power play. Let's get three to five shots, regardless if they're grade A scoring chances. But let's just like to open up penalty kills in the National Hockey League. Everything comes off of a shot. Um, but to go to your point of you know the, the, that many games in the upcoming schedule, like it's got to be simplified. It has to be all four lines. I know beating a dead horse, but like. That is the way this team has to, to progress and move forward is they have to get production from all four lines because there's just no way you can play your top six 20-plus um, minutes a night in that stretch with travel. Yeah, they're going to have to find the depth and hope the depth does its job. One, one more quick thing before we let you run. We talked a lot about goaltending the other day. Casey DeSmith showed up big. Um, he's he's gotten a run of starts in a row here around the break. It's They keep saying Tristan Jari's getting closer and closer to coming back, but regardless of when Jari is healthy and back and taking over the starting job again, I guess, do you look at the performance against the Sharks or the one coming out of the break against the Avalanche and say, okay, I'm feeling better about the goaltending situation. I don't necessarily need to think about looking at something at the deadline. I don't suspect Ron Hextall is going to look for goaltending at the deadline. I think that's way down his list of priorities, but we've talked about it enough. And I'm just curious what your take is on how DeSmith looked against the Sharks. Yeah, no, and we've gone, I mean, it, it's been a topic we've gone back and forth on. I mean, I felt like they set him up for failure to play him in that game against L.A. back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, that was just kind of setting him up for a recipe to fail. And then we kind of asked, you know, how, do you think that that's enough to get through a boss? And I didn't feel that confidence. But, again, this is more of like, coming in a couple of days off. He, I feel like he truly is building off of the success he's had over the last couple of weeks. And now this is a sample size, right? Like, can we, can you be consistent uh, in, in having this effort? Like he's making close to 40 saves in, in, in three of his four starts. Like that's pretty impressive stuff. That's the type of goaltending. That's what we want to see when we have competition between goaltenders is like, right. who's going to grab this, you know, by the horns and run with it. So I think he's doing that. I just don't want to see him play any more back-to-backs because I just feel like that's setting them up for failure moving forward. Yeah, they've got to have things you would hope in place by the time they get the back-to-back this weekend against the Isles and the Devils, and then another one next weekend, which the second half of the back-to-back, which they've not done well in, is against Tampa. So two very important second half of back-to-back situations in the next 10 days or so. Eric, we'll let you run. Uh, enjoy the weekend. We'll catch up with you again next week, and we'll be in the middle of this stretch that we keep talking about of six games in 10 days and see how they're reacting to it and uh, perhaps building a little bit more of a cushion between themselves and those teams chasing them down. Thanks for the time today, man. No, thank you. I'm excited for this weekend set of games. I mean, we're talking two four-point games. Um, this is the type of hockey where you can establish yourself like we're back. So I'm pumped. Looking forward to talking to you next week. Thanks. Sounds good, Tango. We'll talk to you soon. Great stuff from Tango again today, as always. Uh, as I mentioned, we'll catch up with him again a couple times next week. And we'll see, I think, if this team starts to simplify some things, as he put it, and plays I don't know, more playoff-style hockey, uh, certainly allowing multiple odd-man rushes in the first and third periods of games is not playoff-style hockey, as they did against San Jose. But again, two points in the standings is two points in the standings. Uh, we'll see if they can continue to pile up two points at a time against Eastern Conference opponents. And we'll talk to a guy who sees them plenty, Wes Crosby, the other Crosby on Twitter. Uh, He joins us from NHL.com next here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff.
time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back on your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. This is Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Chris Mack of the Fan Morning Show here with you. You can also get us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. We're available. Be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and, of course, download and listen. Wes Crosby joins us now from NHL.com. Wes, thanks for taking the time. How you doing, man? Pretty good. I'll be yourself, Chris. Great, great. Uh, especially considering, you know, when I set the benchmark for this team, the Penguins coming out of the break, I said, hey, they get six points in those four games out of the break. The the one against Colorado at home and then the three out west. I'll feel pretty satisfied that this team is starting to point things in the right direction. Despite setting that benchmark, they, they achieved that goal, yet I still don't feel like they've necessarily pointed things in exactly the right direction. It feels like Columbus has set off for uh, India and has instead found Haiti. And now uh, he thinks he's succeeding. Maybe. I don't know. Do you think this team is, do you, do you think this team is finding something or is this just a matter of stacking up wins against lower quality opponents like Anaheim and San Jose? I think that it's more of the latter. Uh, I do think that's important though. I think that you have to take care of business against the teams that you're supposed to take care of business against. But When you look back on that game against Colorado, I thought that that was a real litmus test for me to see how that team was going to perform. They come out um, and they get a result. But when you look at it and the way that that game was played, um, I think that clearly the better team were the Colorado Avalanche. It just so happened that they weren't able to get another goal. Um, And sometimes that's going to happen and, and you come out with a result and you run with it. I think that for the most part, when Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and the like are playing the way that they've been playing all year, quite frankly, they're uh, 35 and 36 years old and they're playing like they're 30. Um, then yeah, you're going to have a chance to beat anybody. Uh, but the problem is, is that you can't count on those guys producing every single night. Uh, recently you have, you know, had a, had a goal from Jeff Carter. Uh, you got two the other night from P.O. Joseph, I believe on Friday or whatever. But those types of things are so few and far between that I just don't see a recipe success moving forward when you do go up against the likes of a Boston Bruins or someone like that that can roll four lines. You can't match up well against them because there's going to be a night where Sid doesn't get two points. Gino doesn't get two points. And what happens when that's the case? So do you think these are the kind of problems like when you frame it in when you put it in that framework, Wes, and I, I, I agree with you. It sounds like the kind of problem that can be fixed by a trade deadline deal. Are you sure that that's the case? I mean, because I wonder, for example, you can go out and and acquire a third line center. You can go out and get, you know, whoever you want, whoever's name you want to throw out, Max Domi, Ryan O'Reilly, Nick Benino, any of them and say, hey, we've got ourselves a depth center who can eat up some minutes as opposed to Jeff Carter, who can move to the wing now and maybe even become expendable if he doesn't get moved out his salary in order to make room for that new guy. Do you think that's enough to get to, to give them the consistency, help them find the consistency in their game that they still haven't been able to find? I personally don't think that they're one guy away. 
Yeah. I think that they're at least a couple away. And that's just me being realistic. I actually really like the idea of adding a Max Domi. I know that um, in his mailbag, Dan Rosen of NHL.com mm-hmm. in late December uh, pointed out that that might be a good addition for the Penguins. He's gone cold lately, but I still think that would be a really nice add to the bottom six. But even adding him in, you still need the Jeff Carters of the world who they're not going to sit. You need the Teddy Blugers of the world. You need those types of guys to pick it back up when I'm not sure. Like Teddy Bluger, I think is still capable of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, No disrespect to Jeff Carter. He's been a great player in this league. I think that just at a certain point in time, maybe father time just comes for everybody. And that might've just happened to him. He looked so incredible after uh, acquiring him that I think it was unrealistic to expect that moving forward for him. And that's just the case now, but you're not going to, he's not going to be a guy that they're going to put up in the press box with us. Um, and so I think that they're probably a few pieces away and with the cap situation being the way that it is, they have to be so creative in order to make multiple moves in order to, you know, actually have this team compete at the level that you would want them to be. Because at this point, who knows how long you have Sidney Crosby, who knows how long you have Evgeny Malkin, who knows how long you have Chris Letang, those guys want to win another Stanley cup. At least the fans want them to win another Stanley cup. And it's the same way that, you know, I'm sure Steeler fans were in the last few years of Ben Roethlisberger. All that matters is competing for a Lombardi trophy, right? That's all that matters. Um, And these guys, actually, you look at it now, and they're in a pretty decent spot when it comes to the playoff standings. Because, yeah, I mean, they only have a two-point lead on a couple teams, but they have at least a few games in hand on all those teams when you really look at it. So the playoff streak is likely going to continue, but it might coincide with a streak of losing in the first round uh, continuing as well. What do you make of, because you mentioned the games they have in hand, and I think it's a, a very important point to make, you know, but there's also the question of a lot. That means a lot of games to play, right? And so right. six and 10 over the next week and a half, for example, starting with the Friday game out on Long Island. And as poorly as they've played on the second half of back-to-backs, is that necessarily a good thing for this team? The game's in hand if they don't actually make anything of them and, and this, you look at the second half of the back-to-backs over the next week and a half, it's catching the devils on the second half of a back-to-back after you've had to fly back home, catching Tampa on the second half of a back-to-back after you've had to fly back home. Do you think they can make the most of these opportunities with the games in hand? Well, that's a, that's an important uh, kind of delineation between the two. They have to, um, because otherwise it's just mathematics. You could right. sit there and say, Oh yeah, they have, you know, they have the chance to you know gain points as you go along but those points aren't gained yet and when you look at the islanders specifically they play them i think three times between now and like march 9th something Mm -hmm. like that those are three big games you're going to have more divisional games um you know i I really thought that the sabers were really coming along they kind of slipped back a little bit but a young team like that maybe they get it back going again so it's still going to be it's going to be a tough about two months that the Penguins still have to keep going and, you know, knock on wood for, for the Penguins, but they've done all of this without any significant injury to a Sidney Crosby or an Evgeny Malkin. That has not been the case in recent years. They've survived significant injuries to both of those guys in right. recent years. And that's why everyone would be talking about potential coach of the year for Mike Sullivan in years past this year. They're kind of in a similar spot have, as they've been in recent seasons, but it's with, Sid and Gino really driving the boat the entire time. Now, when those guys are out, typically they they tend to play a really controlled, disciplined game and still somehow end up getting points the same way that they 
would if those big two were in. They just play a different style of hockey. But who knows what will happen with those two. You would like to think that, you know, that, that nothing will happen to them, but you can't bank on that. There has been more health here, uh, despite some bumps on the on the blue line recently, than there has been in, in years past, and yet they're still kind of waiting at the bottom of, you know, the Eastern Conference playoff picture. You know, you make a great point about that, and uh, there are a ton of Metro games in the offing. You mentioned the ones against the Islanders. We know how physical these games can get. A couple against Philly. They've got a a week span about a month from now, uh, right around St. Patrick's Day, leading into St. Patrick's Day, where they've got three games in seven or eight days against the Rangers. that will probably go a long way to deciding whether they're still a wild card come playoff time or are able to work their way up into the second or third spot of the Metro standings. Uh, I, no one wishes injury on anybody. Let's be real clear about that. But you're yeah. right. They find something different when when they're without some of those key pieces. They play a more responsible brand of hockey. Um, let me ask you this, Wes. Wes Crosby with us here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff at other NHL Crosby on Twitter. Does a great job of covering the pens. Talent-wise, if a trip to, let's say, fans would be satisfied with a trip to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think that would make a lot of people feel better. Uh, about where they're at in the waning years of the Crosby, Malkin, Latang era. Let's use a baseball analogy. Are they maybe a bloop base hit to right center away from being there? Or are they a 450-foot, three-run O'Neill Cruz home run into the river away? In other words, do they need to take a big swing at the trade deadline? Should they be looking at ways to somehow uh, foist that first-round pick off on somebody? I know Ron Hextel would dread doing it foist some more salary off on somebody and take a swing. Is it possible to take a swing on a, a, a Timo Meyer or someone near the top of the trade charts that we're talking about, or do they need to be more realistic and say, Hey, let's get our third line center. Maybe they take a swing somewhere else and let's, let's, let's be more rational and reasonable about our approach to the deadline. I think probably more reasonable um, just because one while I said everything that I said, it sounds like I'm very negative on the Pittsburgh Penguins, but no, it sounds really, it sounds is, like realism. It, I'll be honest. Yeah. yeah. The, the the fact of the matter is, is that you still have a Sidney Crosby that I think is quite frankly, not as respected as he probably should be nationally at this point in his career. And it's just because new guys come along, it's in vogue. I mean, you see what Connor McDavid's doing and it's just incredible. Obviously you're going to say, you know, that guy's the best player in the world. And I'm not saying that's it is now, but some act as if he's fallen, you know, like he looks old and he doesn't, mm-hmm. like I said, he looks like he's 30. He plays like he's 30 though. That guy is the Tom Brady of yeah. the NHL. He can keep going as long as he wants to barring again, knock on wood, any, any sort of significant injury. I think of getting Malkin quite frankly, looks a lot better than I thought he would look. He's a point per game player again. Uh, I think that was really smart bringing him back. I thought that was the best, move that they could have made uh, at that price. And so I think that your top six is mostly good. Like, I think they have a really solid top six. I think that Brian Rust, he's up and down. But when you look at, specifically when they have Ricard Raquel on that top line, it's great. Um, I think that Jake Ensel has started to come along with the shot again. He had a lot of goals earlier in the year, but when you look at it, it's a lot of empty netters. So mm-hmm. you take that for what it is. I mean, it means you're winning hockey games if someone's, you know, scoring at the net. Right. So that's good. But for Jake Gensel, he wants to score legitimate goalie in, in the net goals. Uh, but for the most part, that top six is, is solid. I think you do need 
more depth. When you look at when they won the cup in 16 and 17, specifically that HBK line, I thought the first time around that might've been their best line. That third line might've been their best line. I still think that Phil Kessel was deserving of a Conn Smythe trophy. That's just me. Um, and so I don't think you need that. I don't think you need your third line to be your best line, but it, it needs to be something that you can throw out there and, and get some sort of consistency in when it comes to offensive production. So I don't think that you need to swing for the fences. I also don't necessarily think that they're a bloop single away. I'm maybe like a nice timely double, like, there you know, it scores a couple runs when you really need it, something like that. I don't think you need like a O'Neill Cruz, like moonshot or anything like that, but maybe a little bit more than a, than a bloop single. Um, and when it comes to that first round pick, he, Ron Hextall said he would not like to move it. I believe him because when you look at, you know, their prospect depth and everything, like they kind of yeah. need to, cause otherwise, like, again, kind of going back to the Steelers, I think that they've done a decent job of kind of quietly going through a rebuild. And now you're kind of on the other side of it. You have a young team. Ben was kind of that last, um, guy holding on and now you have your young quarterback now you're on the other side of it without ever really falling all the way off the penguins need to be careful because if they mortgage all of it then they're going to go through a true rebuild where sid's not around anymore gino's not around anymore and then you don't have you haven't built the tj watts and the makeup Fitzpatrick. like you haven't gotten all those guys to kind of carry moving forward so that you don't have that really bottoming out that the penguins suffered through for a few years in the early 2000s I love the mixing of sports analogies that you're uh, you're on the same wavelength with me here, Wes. And I'm glad you brought up – like, I've been mentioning the Tom Brady analogy for a long time now. Sidney Crosby strikes me as a guy who, if his body allows him to, will play until he – and his skills allow him to, will play until he's 45. So I think that that brings up an interesting question about the rebuild that we you were just talking about. You know, is, is it even farther away maybe than we think it is? Like if Chris Letang – and we know how physically – what great shape he's in. If Chris Letang can play until he's, I don't know, 42 and Gino, I don't know, plays till he's 40 and Sid till he's God, 42, 43. I mean, this rebuild may still be uh, half a decade away at this rate. It, is that, is it realistic? Is that, does that give Ron Hextall hope that maybe he has more time to build up this system than we may have originally thought? Maybe. Um, I do think that it's true that, you know, at least some of those guys might play until they're 40 ish. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't necessarily know how they'll play at that point. Right. I think that Sidney Crosby is always going to be a good hockey player. Um, unless he's 76, then maybe, maybe he's not that good. <laughs> but if he's 40 years old, he's probably going to be a pretty good hockey player. Uh, is he still a point per game guy? I don't know at that point because it's at, at a certain point, um, you're not going to be able to keep up. Maybe your hands, you lose them just a little bit, mm-hmm. but he's still going to be a guy that maybe gets you 65, 70, something like that. But is that enough to carry a team into the postseason that otherwise probably wouldn't get there? Probably not. You need the other pieces around him to be complimentary. Um, same thing with the Chris Letang. Uh, I think that Evgeny Malkin, when he says, you know, I think what at the end of last year was three or four more years, mm-hmm. something like that. I think that he's probably telling the truth. So yeah. probably around 39, he's that's probably about what it's going to be for him. Um, Sid, I think it's going to be really interesting because he said basically that he wants to at least play throughout the remainder of his contract. Um, I think that that's just that's him being realistic because you don't yeah. know what's going to happen. But as long as he still feels good 
uh, and he's still, you know, confident in his game. I just don't see him walking away until he's truly, truly ready because this is what he loves to do. He is all about it. He is so soaked into hockey. Um, but it's one of those things where will at, at the end of his career, will you see basically what Mario kind of had to deal with at the end of his career? And I think that's a realistic possibility too. Wes Crosby of NHL.com. Before I let you run, Wes, um, I don't know how much you talk to your NHL.com brethren around the league, uh, and I don't know how much information is 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 sort of sifting its way around the league in regards to this or not, but we mentioned the Capitals earlier, so I'm just curious, what what is the scuttlebutt in NHL circles about what the deal with Alexander Ovechkin is? No one wants to pry into personal business, certainly, but given uh, how much criticism he's taken for, I hesitate to call them political views. I guess they're not political views, but everything that's gone on in Russia, right? Uh, Ovechkin's taken a lot of heat for his response to that. Um, I think the first thing that people think when they hear that Alex Ovechkin is going to be away for uh, the foreseeable future is, oh my God, is something going on back home with family? Um, Is is there any scuttlebutt at all, whether it's a health issue? Again, you you don't want to pry into personal lives too much, but the Caps could be in a tough spot if they're without Ovechkin down the stretch here. Yeah, and I just uh, I checked on my phone just to make sure that I get this accurate before saying it. Uh, the Capitals about an hour ago did tweet out that uh, sad, sad news that Alexander Ovechkin's father had passed. Okay. Um, so it's a similar situation to what Chris Letang recently had to go through. Uh, obviously, all you know, um, condolences to to Alex Ovechkin and his family. Mm -hmm. And I luckily have never had to deal with that sort of loss. Um, So I can only imagine what it would be like. So I'm sure that the Capitals will give him all the time that he needs to grieve um, thoroughly and and appropriately. Um, We'll see when he comes back. I was in the Penguins locker room when Chris Letang came back um, and I saw how, how heavy that was. It was heavy. Um, and so hopefully he's able to come back and, and, you know, be as, as great as he, as he was before. Hopefully this doesn't weigh on him too much. Obviously this is a Pittsburgh hockey podcast and people, you know, uh, won't be happy, uh, about saying good things about Alex Ovechkin, but he, he's one of the greatest players of all time. I think the greatest goal scorer of all time. Um, and I think that in, in this moment, we can all kind of come together and be like, Hey, you know. I I just hope that that him and his family get through this well. Yeah, I think we can be human, even when it comes to a rival like Ovechkin and the Caps. Absolutely. Wes, great stuff today. Thanks so much for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. We'll hope to check in with you again throughout the stretch run. And once we get going into hopefully what is more than just six or seven playoff games this spring. (laughs) And uh, thanks again for the time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, Chris. Thanks for having me. Again, at other NHL Crosby. That's Wes's handle on Twitter. He does a great job covering the pens for NHL.com. And as we talked about, they're going to have a lot of opportunities because of the game's in hand to create some distance, perhaps, between not just themselves and the Capitals, you know, depending on how long they're without Alex Ovechkin, uh, but between themselves and, starting on Friday, the Islanders, who are currently just on the edge of the playoff bubble. Uh, they've got big games coming up in the Metro Division. One on Saturday on the second half of a back-to-back against Jersey, who, you know, probably too much distance between the Pens and the Devils for them to chase Jersey down at this point. But those three against the Rangers during the one-week stretch in the middle of March. Opportunities are still there to maybe scratch and fight and claw their way out of a wild card spot so that they aren't stuck, as I talked about earlier with Eric, 
Tan Grady uh, playing Carolina or Boston in the first round. Ideally, you'd like to get a better, maybe even Metro division matchup in the first round. So thanks to Wes again. Look, one of the coolest Twitter accounts out there, if you're a hockey fan, is HockeyViz.com. Micah Blake McCurdy does a great job of taking all of the, I'm doing air quotes with my fingers now, advanced metrics and turning them into data visualizations that make you go, oh, okay, now I see how that player is playing or that team is playing. We talked to Michael Blake McCurdy of HockeyBiz.com next here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back into Fifth Avenue Faceoff. I'm Chris Mack of the Fan Morning Show, Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh. And of course, Odyssey, your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. That's where you go to make sure that you are subscribed to and downloading the latest episodes of Fifth Avenue Faceoff as soon as they are ready to go. Uh, that's where you want to be during the stretch run here as the Pens try to battle for the 17th consecutive playoff appearance, uh, which is currently, well, an NHL record. It's at least leading the NHL, I would say. Uh, And there's distance they're trying to put between themselves and teams around them in the standings. Uh, That distance can be represented visually sometimes, those statistics. And Micah Blake McCurdy of HockeyViz.com. Follow on Twitter, at Ineffective Math, is with me now here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Micah, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. No problem. Pleasure's all mine. Um, so let's let's start here. Uh, before we get into, like, Penguin-specific topics or even, you know, the, the playoff picture, the trade deadline, all that kind of stuff, I guess my first question is, what leads someone growing up where you are in your corner of the world to say, hey, you know what, I'm a hockey fan, And I love all the numbers that are a part of the game, but I just wish there was a better way to literally look at those numbers and start representing the numbers of the game, even the advanced analytics of the game, visually the way you do. So I grew up in Halifax in Canada, but I didn't get into hockey until I moved away to do my PhD in Australia. And then I discovered that, uh, that Australians are sports mad, but they are not hockey mad the same way Canadians are. And then something that was part of my blood, it seemed, was somehow just couldn't get it. And so I had to get into it. And when you get into something from a distance, you get into it much differently than if it's just in the air around you. And so that's when I really, you know, 10, 15 years ago now, that's when I really got into it. And of course, the joke about numbers, people are always asking me about numbers because I'm doing analytics, is that I'm no good with numbers. And, and I'm constantly doing stuff with pictures instead because I think about things visually. I'm good right. with patterns and good with pictures. And so making things pictorial, visual, was a way that I could understand them. And then that turned out to resonate with some other people and the rest is history. So did you start, I guess, with hockey or did you start with a sport that was more familiar to your friends in Australia? No, I started with hockey specifically because I wanted that connection to home. You know, I, I thought of it as a Canadian thing and I was missing okay. Canada specifically. So I've never done every now and again, I'm, I'm big into Aussie rules football, actually. And every now and okay. again, my friends there, you know, say, oh, you know, you're going to make us some stuff for Aussie rules football. And I say, no, no, shut up. I want to drink beer and yell at the TV. <laughs> so <laughs> this is an aside, but maybe you can explain Aussie rules football. I've never been able to understand the darn thing. Oh, it's tremendously fun. The most important thing is that you run real fast and uh, you have to kick the ball if you want a free kick. That's it. Okay. 
All right. Well, next time I see some, I'll be able to watch it now with at least a, a base level of knowledge. I appreciate that, Micah. Uh, so you grew up in Halifax. Um, did you play a lot of hockey as a kid? I imagine if you're like every other Canadian story we've heard, uh, you were born with skates on and thrown out on a frozen pond at the age of three. Oh, see, uh, I think you must be talking to people who have more money than me because we <laughs> we could never, ever afford. I asked my parents about hockey when I was a kid and they said, are you joking? And uh, so I've, I've never, in fact, I still don't know how to skate. I'm a uh, really, I, uh, I embarrassed myself in an interview with a general manager once for a consulting gig with a team. Uh, when he asked me, you know, what is your hockey background? And I didn't quite understand the question. I said, I'm sorry, I don't know how to skate. And everybody in the room cracked up. Oh no. So they came to you to talk to you about a consultancy position, but then they had to know that you would play the game at some level at some point. No, I got that job in the end, but they did. They wanted, they just, that's how you know. You know what hockey people are like. That's how you yep. get to know someone. You know, you're like, oh, I didn't play, but my buddy played. Or yeah, my uncle played. Or I played a little bit up to, you know, junior B or whatever. You know, you tell right. them your background. But I don't have any background. I can't skate. <laughs> so what's it like for a kid growing up in Halifax then who's surrounded by hockey but doesn't know how to skate? What's You're opening up a whole new path towards hockey that I think a lot of us dumb Americans have never considered before. We just assume you all, like I said, the, the prototypical thing, the stereotype I threw out, you're born with skates on and get thrown on a frozen pond at the age of three. Well, that I mean, that stereotype is actually mostly true. And, and so, of course, my upbringing was extra unusual for that reason. You know, I was always a bit on the outside, not doing the stuff that my friends were doing, and I wasn't in that community. And so mathematics was always always my first love and that's the joke about the twitter handle is that i had i couldn't get a full-time teaching job in mathematics and so i had to slum it somewhere else and so hockey is uh, is where i wound up that's that's amazing to me but it's also a great story in that hey even if you grow up in hockey mad canada you can still become a part of the game even without actually playing the game because i mean even growing up and look i lived in texas for a time when i was a kid so i certainly wasn't skating then i didn't learn to skate until i was 12 and had to ride a had to ride a, a bus down to a different part of town and rent figure skates. And even it was just, it was a whole thing and it was terrible. It's why I'm still a bad skater today. Uh, people who've seen me out there would attest to that certainly, but I guess love of the game, you'll find it. However, you have to find it if, if, if for lack of a better way to put it. Absolutely. And it also, it has some interesting effects too, because it, it means that when I'm working and of course I'm working mostly with fans, which are my customers, the, I have a certain affinity for fans who don't share my background exactly, but who share that same sense of like, I like hockey, but I'm not like straight in the target market. I'm not in the direct sights of like the people that Gary Bettman is thinking about when he's thinking, how do we make sure that the game is good for our fans? Right. You know, that, and, and so that attitude, that upbringing leads me into thinking a bit more like, what would other people think about this? What do all hockey fans think about this? Not just focusing on, you know, how have we always done this? So what are your favorite visuals to put together? The ones I like the most, and look, I love all the stuff you do. Again, at Ineffective Math on Twitter and HockeyViz.com. You can subscribe there for access to all of Micah's charts and everything they do at HockeyViz.com. Um, the stuff I love more than anything else are like the standings-related visuals that give me an idea of, okay, this team's built their, for example, the one I saw earlier today, uh, just a few hours ago, it was league standings. And it shows you how each team has come about gaining their points. For example, regulation wins, overtime losses, shootout losses. Um, and it's I'm, I'm a bar graph guy. And it, it's put laid out as a standard bar graph, but with lots of different colors. 
Um, I love the the point projections that you do over the past two weeks, right? And it shows teams and how they've climbed and how they've dipped, and you can see patterns developing in how teams have played over the last two weeks. What are some of your favorites to put together? Well, that second one you mentioned in particular is is by far my favorite. It's it and it's everyone's favorite, and those things are related. And part of why it goes to something that you've been talking about on both of your previous spots today already, talking about how the Penguins are in this good spot, but the spot is only good because they have these games in hand. Right. And you know, that and that creates this slight nervousness and tension, right? You gotta trust that your guys are as good as you think they are, as good as they've been in the past to actually win those games, or at least enough of them, like you think they're gonna. And and so, but then of course that nervousness goes both ways because the other teams have to win them too if they need them. And but but it's difficult to say to yourself, well, how much is that really worth? And that that is where my sort of quantitative mind takes over. Where I think, well, you work it out, do a simulation, try to calculate how much it's actually worth, and then you that sends you down the rabbit hole of exactly you know all of the other stuff. And so making a graph like that where I can bake in how many points do they already have? How good is the roster? Who are they going to play? What is the back-to-back situation? You know, can I account for all of these things that I need to account for? And then you can put something all on the same scale where you can say, look, here's all 32 teams. It's not just your team, it's everyone's team. And so you can get that context. And I always like to include that extra little bit of detail so that it's not just a, here's the takeaway. There's right. always a little, bit, a little bit more so that sometimes it can make things a little bit busy and people say, oh, you know, it looks like a kitchen sink. The, but you always want that little bit extra where once you've seen the first thing, you know, you're a Penguins fan, so you look for the Penguins on the chart. But right. then after that, you think, oh, I didn't realize that Boston was that far up. Or, oh, I didn't realize that actually Montreal, you know, even though they're bad this year, aren't that bad compared to the really bad teams. Like there's always something else to catch your eye. Right. And that and that idea, that sort of philosophy embeds into a lot of the things that I do and a lot of the charts that I really like are the ones where you've got a takeaway, but then you've also got this this tendency to linger and take in something new where you think, Oh, I didn't realize that. The other one I love is just the, the simple, for lack of a better way to put it, it's, it's not a heat map, but it's similar to a heat map and that it just shows location of shots. And uh, you know, a heat map, the heat maps that you do that look like heat maps are very good. You know, they almost look like, um, like landscapes kind of from 50,000 feet above earth. Like you see the plateaus and where the hot spots are and where the cold spots are. But then to just get a visual of all the dots and which ones were blocked based on the shape of the, the, the icon on the screen there, you know, you can tell if a team is, I guess, playing tentatively in the offensive zone because they're funneling everything outside, outside the dots and hash marks. Or if they're really packing the house and creating traffic as you would want a team to do as the playoffs approach, especially um, those ones to me, I think it, 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 to visually put that in, in terms for someone who I didn't watch the entire Nashville game last night, for example, but I can see, oh, the Predators, clearly they're not feeling it because they're funneling everything outside. And I'm just using them as an example here. Um, you know, that to me, you, you, you learn as much from that as you do, 10 times as much, I should say, from that, you know, shot map as you do from just simply looking at a stat sheet. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I kind of laugh sometimes when people say, oh, you know, advanced analytics this phrase that people throw about right. when when the boat like my bread and butter what i spend almost all of my time actually putting on a screen is where did people shoot the puck from <laughs> and which is one of you know it's one of those things that i feel like every fan at every level of sophistication can understand you know you want to shoot the puck and you'd like to do it from close to the net if you can that that sort of detail and but part of why part of why I spend so much time doing so much of that is not just because it's it's so fundamental, but because it's also uh, 
really quick to pick up. You know, you take one look at a map and you say, oh, wow, look, a ton of shots from outside. That's not great. But it also tells you something else about the story too, right? If you're getting a ton of shots from outside, that means you're probably dominating the neutral zone play, mm. even if even if your shots are not great. And so you can you can immediately start into a conversation about, well, why are they doing this? Is it because they can't get close to the net? Is it because the defense against them is playing in a specific style? Are they being coached in an unusual style where they're deliberately trying to, you know, simplify their game and take more shots and try to generate some pressure, take some pressure off their goalie? You know, even the simplest stylistic details, you can, first of all, appreciate them almost instantly. And they lead you right away into discussions about, well, why? Why is they doing it like that? Or I like right. that, or I don't like that. And you, you're off and running almost before you, before you decide if what you're looking at is good or not. Michael Blake McCurdy of HockeyViz.com with me here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. I want to ask you about working with people around the league before I let you run, but I do have to ask a Penguin-specific question. In all of the visual representations of numbers that you've put together, I guess, since the All-Star break, because that's a point of focus for Pens fans. Uh, they go into the break uh, on a down note, yeah, losing to the Sharks at home, but they bounce back out of the break. They beat Colorado presumably in a game they shouldn't have won uh, more often than not. And then they take, you know, four points out West in a, in a three-game series in California. When you're looking at the visual representations of what the Penguins are doing right now, what should give fans hope that they're doing things right and what would still have you worry? The the Penguins are interesting because they're, I mean, any team close to the middle of the league and the Penguins are closer to the middle than they are to the top or the bottom mm-hmm. are always interesting because you always have this interesting pattern of strengths and weaknesses. And so the the power play looks good to me. You're okay. talking about some of the some of the details about how you you know finesse how the power play intersects with the way that you have to negotiate travel. Um, but all up from a macro level, it looks good. Um, they're not taking too much from the circles. They're taking a lot from the from both sides of the slot from the net front itself. You know that looks really strong. Uh, the penalty kill looks like it could use some help. Um, that's a, an area of concern. Um, the total team defense, you know, Pittsburgh has never been a real like shutdown defensive team. They've played to their strengths, which is up tempo. You know, our guys can score more than your guys, and that's how we win. Right. And that that strategy, I think, you see that in the in the way that they play, in the way that they they generate, and in the way that they fail to suppress shots against. Uh, at five on five, the weaknesses seem quite mild. Uh, shorthanded, it seems a little bit worse. You know, they're relying on their goaltending a little bit too much. Uh, on the penalty kill. That seems like the kind of specific thing that maybe they could fix. And I don't know if it would be a particularly uh, common refrain among Penguins fans, but I wouldn't be too surprised if Ron decided to go out and and trade for uh, a penalty killer, a specialist, especially because they can be typically had quite cheaply. Penalty kill defense or penalty kill forward? Like, uh, for example, a guy we saw the other night in San Jose and Nick Benino. Uh, Nick Benino is a, is a classic all-rounder player. I think, I mean, he's old enough now that maybe his, maybe his value is more limited. Um, right. but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be at all surprised. Um, if, uh, especially cause he's a well-known name to Ron specifically, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they were to pick up somebody like him and he would slot in there nicely. One thing we are in Pittsburgh, if nothing else is provincial and we love guys that we already know, and we love guys that we have an emotional attachment to. And if nothing else, Hunter Ryan Singh a few years ago gave us that emotional attachment with the Benino, Benino, Benino. And so um, Absolutely. I, 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 that's not the only reason I brought him up a lot in the last week, because I do think he does. He fits because of what you mentioned about the PK and also being a depth, uh, a depth forward who can play center, give them minutes there. Um, before I let you run, I, I, I got to ask, you mentioned working with teams uh, around the league, consultancy things and stuff like that. Are you finding, because we often hear, and look, 
the NHL, it, it is a bit of an old boys network, right? Like you see the same coaches, musical chair their way around the league. Even if they're not exactly the nicest people in the world, at least to the media, <laughs> John Tortorella, uh, they, they find jobs, right? And so the, the same old guys show up in the same old places. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to believe that those guys are allowing new ideas to affect them. But are you seeing that? Are you seeing, I guess, the old boys network or maybe some of the newer people entering the game around the league use uh, not just advanced analytics, but use things like graphic representations uh, that you put together at HockeyBiz.com to influence the decisions they're making? Uh, they absolutely are. There's no question. And, and the old boys network, as you, which is the right name for it, is by no means shattered. But there are definitely improvements. There's definitely changes coming along. You, know, you look at you look at the front offices in Seattle, you look at, at some new front office hires in Vancouver, you know, despite the turmoil there, the, there's definitely a lot of progress in terms of hiring some new faces, some new analysts, you know, and people getting promoted. Eric Tulski's AGM in Carolina now, you know, you've got, there's definitely new blood coming into the, the league as a whole. And, and like one time I put in, again, in a consultant interview, a different GM and then the last story, I put a heat map, just a, you know, these are the shots that your team takes mm-hmm. in front of a, a GM and he had no idea that that data even existed. Oh my God. Uh, and, and in fact, you know, he said, where did you get this from? And I had to say from the NHL. And he was <laughs> like, you know, the, the, the like hidebound dinosaurs of the, of the most old fashioned type are steadily leaving the league. Yeah. And, and the people who replaced them, some of it's just natural turnover, you know, executives get old, same as players do and they leave and the new people come in. Some of that is, is just natural turnover, but it's also, bringing some freshness where people have different approaches and um, not to toot my horn too much. A lot of, I am starting to notice that the people who are taking those new positions are people who have grown up in a different culture, a different analytical culture, whether you call it advanced or not, where Mm -hmm. people don't want to just look at how many points does he have? What's his plus minus? What league did he play in? Who is his dad? You know, they want to know a lot more detail. They want to have better characterizations of defense. They want to have details about, you know, who is he playing with? They want to account for quality of competition. You know, people like no one has ever people bellyache about progress, but how they don't like it. But no one ever looks at more data and says, ah, you know, I was happier the old way. Yeah, I, I just I, I love to picture. I'm not saying it was one of these guys. I don't. I, and I, you don't. I, I'm not asking you to tell me who it was either. But I love to picture like a Lou Lamarillo or David Boyle just sitting there at a boardroom table, and you've got slides up on the screen. Goes, Where did you get this information, son? And grabbing you by the shirt collar. Where did you get it? You tell me right now. And you just say eh, NHL.com, sir. Uh, I just. <laughs> I don't know why. I just love that idea that there are guys still finding out that things like that are actually out there. Micah, I could talk to you uh, for for the rest of the afternoon, but I will let you run. want to thank you for taking the time again. Uh, check it out, HockeyBiz.com. You can subscribe to Micah's work there. And, of course, at Ineffective Math on Twitter. Appreciate the time, my friend, and we will catch up again soon. Pleasure's all mine. Thanks for having me. So six games in 10 days starting on Friday. That's when we'll have the next episode of Fifth Avenue Faceoff available to you as well. We get you ready for the back-to-back out on Long Island Friday night and then at home against the Devils on Saturday. Two huge games for playoff positioning in the Metro Division for the Pens. We'll see. You would think Tristan Jari will have to start one of those games, so we'll definitely keep an eye on the goaltending situation, but we'll also be keeping an eye on things like, well, are there any moves made between now and then? Not likely. I think Ron Hextall will wait until closer to the deadline to pull the trigger if he does on anything. Uh, will we have to start to worry about this power play 
as Tango pointed out earlier, less practice time can mean less time to iron out wrinkles on the power play. One of 13 since the all-star break. If they don't get a practice in, uh, will that affect them? If it is limited, will they only do special teams work? Maybe something to keep an eye on. Thanks to Michael Blake McCurdy of HockeyViz.com. Uh, at Ineffective Math on Twitter. Thanks to Wes Crosby of NHL.com, other NHL Crosby on Twitter, and of course, Eric Tangrady, who joins us a couple times every week as well. We'll do it again on Friday. Don't forget, subscribe inside your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate and review as well. Download, listen, and give us feedback as well, at the Chris Mack on Twitter. That's me. Let me know what you think of the first few weeks here of Odyssey's new Pittsburgh Hockey Podcast, Fifth Avenue Faceoff.